Welcome to Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. I'm Kent Blanford. Each week, we'll bring you a sampling of some of the best Catholic podcasts being prepared and shared out there on the internet. This past weekend, we celebrated the Feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So we're opening this week's sampler with an offering from Father Bill's Podcast Central. Father Bill Holtzinger is a priest of the Archdiocese of Portland, Oregon. In this episode, Father Bill presents to us Mary, the Blessed Disciple. Here's Father Bill. You're listening to episode 801 of the Father Bill's Podcast. Welcome back. This week's episode is entitled, Mary, the Blessed Disciple, given on the Solemnity of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, 2021. Today we celebrate God through the gift of the Blessed Virgin Mary via her Blessed Assumption. The Solemnity of the Catholic Church, this is the Solemnity of the Catholic Church, whereby we recognize that she was taken up body and soul into heaven. Often we hear this is the result of the Immaculate Conception, that is, her being conceived without sin. And this is true. Her Immaculate Conception, keep in mind, was a great gift, a singular gift, given to her by God in view of his merits, of his death and resurrection. So her life began without sin. That's a great start. Anybody else here? Yeah, I didn't think so. Me neither. But it also ended without sin. Ended with a state of grace. Now, it's important, I want to emphasize this, that this is a privilege thing, but at the same time, she had her free will all through this, all through her life. And so we praise God for giving Mary salvation in heaven because it prefigures what we hope for. We may may not be assumed into heaven, but we hope for heaven in our own personal situations. So not ignoring any of God's grace, we must add to this mix, this mix of grace, that she was the first of all disciples. Again, a privileged place in salvation history. The word disciple comes from the Greek word meaning follower or learner. So if you have a hero, or you love a certain teacher or a musician or a group, maybe someone who inspires you to be like them, maybe a sports figure, you maybe want to learn from them because they have such great knowledge, then you'd be considered a disciple of theirs. Now, it may be easy to think that Mary, while she uh, was born without sin, that she had no issues. Well, while she died in a state of grace, she lived a life that was truly human. That meant she had temptations. We don't hear about those temptations, but we hear them more dramatically in the life of Jesus because he too lived a life without sin, right? But... Temptation was not uh, removed. He was not preserved against temptations in the sense that there were none. 
Rather, he had temptations and never gave in. And that is what the church is saying, too, that Mary, as a human person, also had temptations but never gave in. She started with grace, she lived the life of grace, and she ended her life in grace. But we might be easily thought, well, we think that, well, of course, she had no sin, so she never made a mistake. Well, we can all make mistakes. Mistakes aren't necessarily sins. But we might say, well, then she really didn't live a fully human life. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. She lived and had freedom to choose. Just because she was born without sin, we might make the error of like, well, she was kind of just destined for this end. I'm like, well, possibly, God only knows, but we can't give up this thought that she made a free will decision when somebody named Gabriel, the angel, came to her and offered her said, Behold, you will bear a son and name him Jesus. What was her answer to this? She said, Yes. The Latin is fiat. Yes to the angel Gabriel. And this yes, a freely given yes, reversed the no in the Garden of Eden by someone named Eve. And of course, the devastation that came from that original sin. Mary was part of the reversal. She's not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. But we should thank God that she not only was uh, given that singular grace of being conceived without sin, but she then, out of her free will, acted in a way that kept her in that state of grace. Of course, she did act in that way because God's grace was with her. But God's grace is with us, and I'm not sure we can all say that we live a life completely without sin. This is where she's a model God's gracious work was with her and it can be with us as well. So you see it was completely a free gift that she said yes to the Father's invitation to be the mother of the Christ. And it was her free will decision to say yes or no when things came her way. She said no to temptation and yes to grace. She even, at one point, had a, think about this, she had a moment where she pushed somebody who said no to something. No, it's not my time yet. You remember who that was? That's Jesus himself. At the wedding of Cana. And she said to others, in a very passive way to Jesus, though, but to others, do whatever he says. Of course, Jesus was persuaded by that. That's why we ask Mary to pray for us because Jesus is persuaded by Mary. That's a great mystery. How is that? I don't understand. But that's why we honor her and we ask her and other saints to pray for us. So in her yes, God is at work. In her yes, miracles happen through God. And we can find encouragement in that. Here we are. COVID is once again upon us. We're wearing masks. The fires are once again in our area and smoke is billowing into our area. And we can get angry about all this. We can look outside from the window of my house. The visibility the last couple of days was less than a half a mile. I couldn't see any, anything but the house across the street. And I'm tempted to get angry. 
then I think, oh, I'm just going to pretend that's fog. <laughs> right? Then I go outside, it doesn't smell like fog. I'm not breathing water. I'm breathing particulate. Not good. But see, then I need help. Because I could be tempted to get angry and bitter. I could be tempted to be in a rebellious state. But I need to make a decision that God's grace is bigger than any of this stuff. That I need to be focused about his love and it being greater than whatever the weather is. That I would not be a fair-weathered person. That no matter whether it's dark or light, smoky or clear, rainy, freezing, or the perfect 82 degrees on a you know, nice sunny day, that God's love is still with me. And that he is with me. The reminder is that we come here today, and that's what I want to remind you of as well. We come here and we hear the scriptures proclaimed. That which happened in history is still with us today. The scriptures proclaim, when we proclaim the scriptures, Christ himself is speaking to us. It hit me just even reading the gospel today. I'm saying the words of Mary. I'm saying the words of Mary? And so we're hearing Mary's words from 2,000 years ago. They're so potent that they are still with us. We then will receive the Eucharist, which is Christ still with us. He has not abandoned us. And no matter how dark things become, and I recall last year when being with my mom and her dying weeks, the smoke was so thick in the Salem area, it was 5 o'clock in the daytime and it looked like night. That even the darkness is light for God. And as weird as all these things can be, as unsettling as all these things can be, and I'm with you on all that, God's love still conquers. We hear that he did that for Mary. Imagine what Mary was up to, what she had to deal with. Here she is. She's about to conceive as well in her life a son out of the the natural order, completely in a supernatural way. And what would happen to her? She's not ignorant of what the consequences were, nor would have Joseph. But she said yes, despite the potential of her being stoned for this. Despite people mocking her, despite her being abandoned, she still said yes. I find that a challenge. Will I still say yes to the things that happened to me in my life? Say yes to God despite the difficulties, despite the unknowns, and boy, there are a bunch of unknowns these days. Every day I have to wake up and I have to ask myself, okay, God, this is your day. What do you want me to do? I don't know about you, but there's days when I'd rather just stay in bed or days that I have no motivation whatsoever. Other days I'm just jazzed to go do something. Other days I got a real focused sense of purpose. Regardless of it all, I know I need to lean, to lean on Jesus. But I can do that with the help of Mary because I'm not alone. Listen again to Elizabeth when she hears the words from Mary or when Mary approaches. Elizabeth said to her, Blessed, this is Elizabeth to Mary, Blessed are you who believed that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. 
She believed and she acted. She said, yes, this is Mary. And so did Elizabeth, by the way, but hers was a little, little bit different situation. Mary had her life at risk for doing this, for saying yes, not Elizabeth. So she comes to Elizabeth to be with her. And Elizabeth recognizes that she is a disciple. She said yes to God. Imagine the strangeness that was now befalling Mary as she hears these words, for the, especially the women here in our community. Imagine if you were having a child, maybe still in the womb, and you knew that you were going to be taught by your child, that you would be a follower of your child. That's a conundrum, especially as now the child grows up into age, especially if you have a teenager that might be more difficult, like, I'm going to follow that person. Well, keep in mind, it's Jesus, probably a teenager unusual than any other teenager in the day, right? Would we still say yes? Mary was blessed. And does she, what is her response to all of this? Even though you know, Elizabeth recognizes Mary as a disciple and blessed for all generations, right? Mary's response, she didn't deny it at all. She said she's a lowly servant, but in her lowliness, she was given such great favor. She gives praise to God for all that is being done through her. Would we do that in the storms of our lives? I know that's what I feel I need to do, but it's so hard, especially when it's so dark. Well, may we do the same anyway. May we be like Mary in this regard. May we not deny God's gifts in our lives. May we call out to him in our need and always be his disciple no matter what, even when things don't seem to make sense. May we proclaim the greatness of the Lord in all we do. May we follow in Mary's footsteps as a disciple of Jesus. For just as God has done great things in Mary, believe this. So too can he do great things in each of us. We need simply to commit ourselves freely to be his disciples. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Father Bills Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, I invite you just to go to my website, fatherbill.org. That's F-R-B-I-L-L dot org. And there you can email me directly from the webpage there. You can also get access to my Facebook page, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, we'll connect that way as well. But probably probably the uh, the best way to do it really is an email directly to me. In the meantime, may God bless you. Stay safe. And see you next week. Bye-bye. From Father Bill's Podcast Central, that was Episode 801, Mary the Blessed Disciple. You can find more podcasts from Father Bill Holtzinger at frbill.org. You're listening to the Lunchtime Podcast Sampler on Catholic Radio Indy. I'm Kent Blanford, and we'll be back with more right after this. So, the scan button brought you here. Awesome. We like company. Get to know us. And if you have to leave, come back. You're always welcome. 
Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to the Lunchtime Podcast Sampler on Catholic Radio Indy. Our next serving on today's sampler comes from the Theology of the Body Institute. They host a podcast series titled Ask Christopher West, featuring Christopher West and hosted by Wendy West. On this episode, Christopher and Wendy explore the question, is he the one? From the Theology of the Body Institute, here's Ask Christopher West. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode. We're happy to be with you. Absolutely. It is the thick of summer here in Pennsylvania. We had a recent heat wave. Yeah. Gotten over that. But one of the things I love about summer is I call it my summer office. Uh-huh. You know what my summer office is. Yes. Tell, tell our listeners what my summer well, office is. It's a screened in porch uh, that's off our master bedroom. So it's not just generally accessible. There's not a lot of activity like flowing in and out of it. It's kind of private and right. it's surrounded by woods and wooded breezes and just a very pleasant place to go work on I a love nice it. day. I love it. I love, love, love <laughs> it. In the summertime, sitting out there, breezes and the trees, as you were saying, the woods, I feel hugged by the woods. But I had an experience recently that was, shall we say, a crappy experience. <laughs> no. <laughs> Now I'm worried. Actually, I know what it was, but our (laughs) listeners should be worried. (laughs) I was sitting out on our screened-in porch there, and I heard this thwack against the screen. And almost instantaneously, I felt this liquid splash on my face. Oh, no. In my hair, all over the notepad I was writing on. And I had my Magnificat open, and these brown blotches got (laughs) splashed all over my Magnificat as well. And a bird had flown into the screen and let loose some bird diarrhea of some (laughs) sort that came through the screen and splashed, like sprayed me. It wasn't your white, typical white bird poop. (laughs) This was brown, liquidy bird diarrhea. Oh, gosh. I have never experienced such a thing. And then I looked out the screen, Mm -hmm. and there are these three robins sitting on a branch, and I swear they were mocking me. (laughs) They were looking at you to see what you thought of that. Yeah, they were looking at me like, gotcha. It was not a pleasant experience. It was was very unusual. Like, it's something you'd see in a movie or a cartoon. And you'd think, oh, that would never happen in real life. But it happened. And I'm telling you, I was like four feet away from the screen. That's how much bird diarrhea got sprayed. <laughs> Maybe, may, you know what? I have a theory. Okay. Maybe because of the little holes of the screen, it's like when you make a hose smaller, it sprays even more forcefully. <laughs> Maybe it was the... Exp- no, no, it's not no? the holes of the screen. It's the impact of the bird's body against the screen. That's what created the force. That's what I think. And the force of that little bird <laughs> butthole. <laughs> <laughs> it was so un- It was so weird. I'm still recovering. I'm sorry. That was pretty upsetting. I just had to share it with somebody. <laughs> well, I'll say this. 
there's so much grace at work in you because I saw you very shortly after that happened and you had to clean yourself up and the things that you were holding, but it could have made you so angry and you were more just miffed and mystified. I was mystified. And and that that's a sign of growth. Don't well, you I think? guess it is. Yeah, I guess so, it is. I guess you, uh, Lord, for some the years grace. ago I might have had a different reaction that's to all right. of that. You were just kind of shaking your head and just shocked. It's like, can you believe this actually happened? Yeah. I couldn't believe it. So that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> I hope nothing like that happened to any of our listeners today. And Considering that it probably didn't, you have something to be thankful for. Yep, there you go. There you go. And speaking of being thankful, we're so thankful for our patrons and our students at the Institute. And I wonder if you want to share anything about things. I do. We have an excellent opportunity coming up at the Institute. We have one of our online TOB1 courses starting July 19th. It runs for two weeks. You get to watch all the videos as if you were right here at our retreat center. Not that we own the retreat center here in Pennsylvania, a retreat center that we use where I teach that was filmed right there. We, When we do the in-person courses, it's five and a half days, but we give our students two weeks to watch the videos. There are live Q&A sessions. It's a marvelous opportunity. If you're not able to travel here to Pennsylvania and you wanted to do a deep dive into John Paul's Theology of the Body, this is the opportunity to do it. There are scholarships available if money is ever an obstacle. We, this is just our policy at the Institute. We never, ever want money to get in the way of this message getting out there. If you are in need of a scholarship, please let us know. We, we do work with the Theology of the Body Foundation, uh, and they are very generous in helping our students to get scholarship money to make it all possible. So please, please, um, if you've ever wanted to take the Theology of the Body Level 1 course, now's a great opportunity to do so. And we've had people say they really like the online version because they get to cry <laughs> by themselves without worrying about people around. They get to rewind the videos and say, oh, let me watch that again, or I didn't quite catch what he said there, let me watch that again. So there are many advantages to, to the online version. I, I'm always, of course, a fan of the in-person courses, but... It has not, these online courses have, have not been an obstacle to the Holy Spirit really changing lives. So, check out that link to learn more. And uh, as far as our patrons, I think it was in just in the last episode, I was talking about all the great new benefits we have for our patrons. Especially, you'll want to check out Bill Dunahee's new course for passing the theology of the body on to our teenagers you want to check that out in the patron community, and you can learn more about that by checking out the links. Hmm. And we have a question from one of our patrons. Yes, thank you, patrons, for your questions. This is from a patron named Mary. Hello, Mary. Thank you so much for your support of the work we do. We're so grateful to you. Mary says, Dear Christopher and Wendy, I started praying about my future and asking God what He wants for my life. I feel like I'm called to marriage. The thing is, since realizing that marriage is my vocation, I feel like I'm incapable of seeing members of the other sex primarily as a beautiful human being made in the image of God. When I meet a guy, I think, God, is this him? Mm. I feel like I should be able to control my thoughts better. What should I do? Mary, you should rejoice that you're a human being. <laughs> 
because <laughs> that, that's what you're experiencing. You're experiencing your humanity. Mm. You're experiencing the the hope and the joy of of being human that you're going to find somebody to marry. And it's entirely reasonable to to wonder, hmm, could this be the one? Yeah. Right. So first, just rejoice. There's just beautiful humanity in what you're experiencing. I wouldn't beat yourself up about it. I wouldn't worry too much about it. I mean, if if I were, y- yes, you are correct in in recognizing we can overdo it. You're correct in recognizing, wow, am I really treating this person as a person or just as a potential somebody for me? Yes, I, I, I affirm you in recognizing that caution in your heart. And the, the very fact that you recognize it to me, already indicates you are on the right track here, sister. I would just invite you, and Wendy, you can speak into this too, I'm sure, but I I would invite you, Mary, when you're experiencing that, and maybe when it's getting a little, maybe a little out of control, first of all, say, Lord, thank you for making me to be a woman. Thank you for your plan for my life. Thank you that if I'm called to marriage, which it seems you've discerned that you are, if that's really God's plan for your life, then there's somebody out there that you're meant to marry. Mm. And thank the Lord in that very moment of wondering, is this the one? Just when you catch your heart doing that, thank the Lord that you're made for marriage. Thank the Lord that you desire a husband. Thank the Lord that he's out there somewhere and and offer that experience, even the troubling aspects of that experience. Say, Lord, I give that to you as a prayer for my future husband. I have a little experience to share. Yes, please do. Um, When I was a single woman, I would sometimes have this distracting experience at Mass where instead of just being present to the Mass itself, I would be kind of imagining my wedding Mass, not kind of. Literally. <laughs> and I would be kind of, I'm here. Hey, at I was mass. at your wedding mess. I'm so glad you came. <laughs> that was kind of key. <laughs> but rewind a little before that before happened. Before that happened, mm-hmm. yes. Um, you know, I would just be in mass, but I would be picturing uh, flowers or thinking about songs and different things about my wedding instead of just paying attention to the mass. And I remember feeling bad about that. Like, I'm just not praying right here because I keep thinking about this. And there was a particular day when I went to Sunday Mass and I I had actually, to tell you the truth, I'd heard you give a talk the night before. And I really was kind of, my heart was a bit stirred up about you possibly being the person I would marry. Well, how about that? And so here I am at Mass and now I'm picturing our wedding, which, you know, was down the road at that time. Did happen. It did later happen. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is that I was (laughs) distracted and I felt guilty about it. But as I was praying in Mass, each time I would have this image of my wedding, it was like I heard the Lord's voice in my heart saying, I love you. And it happened repeatedly throughout the Mass where I'd have this image of like being just a distraction, really, thinking about a wedding my own wedding it's not like a, a wedding it's is fundamentally distracting but it wasn't i wasn't focused on the prayers at hand and i kept hearing this i love you and it was just like the lord letting me know he wasn't the one scolding me if if i'm scolding feeling scolded in my thoughts it's my own problem like he his heart was just full of 
love for me. And it was so consoling to me and freeing to hear that from him. Mary, the Lord is full of love for you. Mm. He loves your desire for a husband. And I'm going to throw this in there too. Your desire for a husband is ultimately your desire. It's a desire for Jesus, because Jesus is your true bridegroom. I'd, I'd encourage you as you're if you find yourself, you know, when it's getting maybe a little out of control, maybe leaning towards an idolization of marriage, just remember Jesus is your true bridegroom. And the best a marriage can be is an icon of something that we don't yet know or haven't yet experienced. The Bible calls it the marriage of the Lamb, right? Marriage between a a man and a woman here on planet Earth is really, when we understand it properly, it's really marriage preparation for the marriage of the Lamb. The ultimate marriage we're called to is the one that lasts eternally between Christ and His church. So, we're all called to that marriage. Lord, prepare our hearts for that. However you want us to live in this life, may it lead us to the marriage of the Lamb. Our next question is from an anonymous podcast listener who says, Many doctors prescribe the birth control pill to women as a treatment for irregular periods, hormone imbalance, and acne. If a woman takes these pills as prescribed for health reasons, is it a sin? Would it depend whether she's a single woman or a married woman? Great question. I'm going to to abstract for a moment and set aside the question as to whether or not the pill might be an abortifacient. There is medical literature out there that's pretty conclusive that the pill uh, can act and sometimes does act not only to prevent conception, but if conception occurs, it changes the lining of the uterus and a newly conceived life can't implant and gets aborted. So, I want to put that question aside for a moment. Not that it's not very important, but I want to address another moral principle, and in order to do that, I need to set that aside for a moment. So, let's assume, just for the moment, that the pill does not also sometimes cause an abortion. Pope Paul VI, St. Paul VI, in his encyclical Humanae Vitae, says that when for example, the pill is taken not with the intention to prevent a pregnancy, but to treat some malady, and the infertility that results is an unintentional side effect or consequence of a medically necessary pill, then one is not guilty of the sin of contraception, right? Because the sin of contraception is in the will. Right? If one is taking the pill to treat a true malady, and the uninte- again, the unintended consequence is that you're also rendered infertile, there's no sin involved. Uh, for example, if a woman has cancer of the uterus, and she needs to remove her uterus to save her life because the cancer would kill her, she knows in advance that to remove her uterus is going to render her sterile. So long as that is not the intention of the procedure, there's no the, the sin of sterilization is not 
committed. So, and that would be true just regardless of whether it's birth control pill or a surgery or, a surgery. or other things Correct. that might unintentionally cause infertility, um, but that are justified because of what's being treated. Well, the, I wouldn't use the word justified because the the rendering. The direct intention to render sterile is never justified. No, I meant but that the, that treating something right, else right. is treating justified. Treating the other malady is justified, right. even though yes. the side consequence or the unintended consequence is you're rendered sterile. Yes, that's correct. So, a single woman who's taking the pill for some to treat some malady is not doing anything wrong. And... If, this is where the question of whether it's an abortifacient comes up, if the pill were not also possibly an abortifacient, a married woman would be doing nothing wrong if she were taking the pill to treat a medical problem and the resulting infertility was a consequence that she did not intend. She would not be doing anything wrong. However, now we have to bring this other piece back in, that the pill, it's in the medical literature, it can act as an abortifacient. My advice to anyone out there who is on the pill for a medically necessary reason, or at least that's what we're often told, we can address that also, is it medically necessary? But if, if you're on the pill for some, uh, re for, to treat some malady, if you're a married woman, in order to avoid the possibility of an abortion, you would need to abstain from the marital act. Uh, the good news is, and Wendy, you know more than I do here as a nurse or as a former nurse. Do you want to shine a light here as a? Uh, sure, I'm happy to. I think you're you're right in you know answering the direct question, and then let's take a step yeah. back and look at other questions. So the the questioner even brought up, would it depend whether she's single or married? And I don't know where the questioner was going with that, but it. You know, it it does relate to that other means of action that many birth control pills do have. Many doctors who are convinced that um, the Catholic Church's teaching on contraception is true, and they're right, um, they choose not to prescribe the birth control pill for other um, illnesses, even though they know that there is an allowance for it in right. certain situations because they want to promote other treatments that are effective. They don't want to kind of go along with the cultural norm that kind of assumes that women want to be infertile, um, which is kind of the mindset of many doctors. You have this problem. Hey, just take the birth control pill. It'll take care of your problem and it'll take care of you not getting pregnant, and that's right. like two birds with one stone. That's great. That's so much the mindset that it maybe discourages many doctors from looking from looking for other treatments for things that are going on with the body. So um, I I know that many people are unaware of that. It's just not commonly talked about in certain circles, maybe, but in in the general population, no. So. Um, I think that that's like the taking the step back and looking at the bigger picture. Yes, it could be allowed, um, and especially, you know, in a person who's not, you know, in danger of experiencing an unintended abortion, you know, all of that, it 
it's morally acceptable. But are there better options out there? There very well may be. And they may get more to the source of the problem rather than maybe right. masking something um, that's going on in the body. So I think that's a very hopeful thing. That's a fruit of faithful people, like faithful doctors following what the church teaches and bringing a lot of good to the world. That's what NAPRO technology is all about. NAPRO is short for natural procreative technology, where doctors come to understand how a woman's body works and they work with it instead of against it. Mm. And in the process of researching how a woman's body really works and how medicines, technology, procedures can work with it, these doctors have discovered various alternatives to the pill for for acne, for what are, what are other things? Is endometriosis a, mm-hmm. a reason a woman might sometimes, a yes. typical doctor out there might put a woman on the pill? Sure. There are alternatives. So, yeah, check out the links to the Paul VI Institute for the Study of Human Reproduction and the NAPRO technology that they use, and I think it'll open a, a whole new world to you. Our next question is from a listener named Beth. Hey, Beth. My grandfather recently passed away, and the grieving process has been hard for us all, especially my grandmother, who is married to him for over 60 years. Mm, wow. I know from Theology of the Body that death is a rupture between body and soul, but that we have hope in the resurrection of the body. There's been conversation among the members of the family that visiting the grave doesn't make sense because he's not, quote, really there. He's in heaven. After listening to you recently, I'm thinking it would be proper to mourn his body at the grave because the body's not just a shell that held his soul. Can you shed some light on the proper understanding and response to grieving and feeling our loved one's presence during this time of unnatural separation in light of theology of the body. Beth, I love your question. I love that you're really pressing in. I can tell that you're really looking at your own heart and you're looking at other messages you're getting and you're weighing it against what you feel yourself and you're saying, what, what's the right attitude here? What's the right approach here? Uh, well, I can speak from personal experience. My sister, who was four years younger than I, died a year and a half ago from uh, cancer, a battle with cancer. And going to her grave is good for my heart. Going to her grave is an opportunity to recall the value and dignity of her body. Like, that is the place. Her body, when I'm there at the grave, I can say, her body, the body I hugged, the body that smiled at me, the body that would laugh with me, the body whose brightness and cheeriness would light up a room, that body is in the ground here. And that body has a destiny of resurrection. Yes, that body is returning to dust. Remember on Ash Wednesday that the priest will pray as he puts ashes on our forehead, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. But we are not merely dust destined for death. We are dust destined for divinization to be raised up into the divine life. If God, at the beginning of time, can gather the dust of the earth 
and breathe his life into it to make a living bodily person, then he can do it at the end of time as well. And going to the gravesite of a deceased loved one is a beautiful recognition of the body, as you're saying, Beth. I think you are spot on. I think you're, you're feeling it in the right way. And I think, perhaps, I don't know their hearts. I can't read into their hearts. But perhaps those in your family or, or others who might say, yeah, why go to the grave? You know, uh, his soul is in heaven. Well, as Thomas Aquinas says, the soul is not the self. The soul is one aspect of the self. The separation of body and soul that happens at death is a cosmic obscenity. It was never meant to happen. And we have this idea, you mentioned it, Beth, that we think of the body as kind of a container for the soul. Well, it's actually the opposite. Thomas Aquinas teaches that the soul contains the body. The soul is the form of the body. And we know this because when the soul separates from the body at death, the body deforms, right? The, the, it's not that the soul is in the body. It's more that the body is in the soul. Mm. And going to the grave is an acknowledgement of the tragedy of the separation of body and soul, but it's also, or could be and should be, I would say, a prayer of hope that the self that you knew, the self who is the union of body and soul, will be reunited at the end of time, and you will know that person in his glorified body. You will know your grandfather. You, his smile will light up the room like it always did. You will know him through his body. His body will be glorified, right? There's, there's something different about glorified bodies. For example, when Jesus was raised from the dead in his glorified body, he could walk through walls, uh, but he was still a body, right? He said, look at me, I'm not, I'm not a ghost. They thought they saw a ghost because he came through the locked door. And he said, no, no, ghosts don't have flesh and bones like I do. If you don't believe me, give me a piece of fish and I'll eat it. Right? That'll be proof to you that I'm, I'm really mm. physically here. Um, and, and other people didn't even recognize Jesus in his glorified body. They'd walk the whole way to Emmaus with him and not sh didn't know that it was, it was the Lord, uh, the person they had hung out with for three years. So there's something mysteriously different, something mysteriously other about our resurrected bodies, but it's still our bodies, right? Bodies that are perfectly permeated and penetrated, John Paul II says, in the resurrection by the Holy Spirit. Mm. And because the Holy Spirit is a divine person, when the human body is perfectly permeated and penetrated by the Holy Spirit, not only is the body spiritualized, the body is divinized. How often is Christianity accused of demonizing the body? Uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. Demons demonize the body and then blame it on Christianity. Christianity mm. divinizes the body. And this, I believe, Beth, is what you are sensing, even if you can't put words to it, this is what you're sensing when you say it is right and fitting for me to go to my grandfather's grave, mourn the separation of his body and soul, and pray right here in this place that he would know the full glory 
of the resurrection of his body. This is our faith. We profess belief in life everlasting, in the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting is how we say it in the Apostles' Creed. Can I get an amen Amen to that? (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. You have anything you want to add, Wendy? I just want to say that we want to be lifting you and your family up in prayer in this time of grieving. We've all um, experienced at least Christopher and I have experienced some really painful experiences with loss of loved ones, both of us. As he mentioned, his sister, I've, both my parents have died, my father when I was young and my mother when I was almost 40. Um, and it is, it is so sad. It is so hard to continue living life without someone you love so much. And um, the Lord knows that he cried at his own friend's grave, felt that pain and sorrow of death itself. And so, you know, to imagine the Lord with you there at your grandfather's grave is completely appropriate. Um, and to know that he He wants to comfort you, he wants to console you, he wants us all to be together again in heaven. That's so much his desire. He understands our, our longing and our pain. And I just will share that um, many people, in addition to feeling that closeness and specialness of visiting a loved one's grave, also experience a great closeness during Mass and at Holy Communion. We know that heaven is present at Mass, and so our loved ones who are in heaven are somehow mysteriously there with us. So I just encourage you to allow the Lord to console you in those different places and ways and trust Him that He's doing a mighty work in your life and uh, and in your grandmother. We'll be praying for her as she longs, I'm sure, for that reunion with her so husband. So hard after 60 years yeah. of marriage. This is, yeah. uh, you've seen me, Wendy, mourn even now. I mean, you're you're not even 50 years old yet. And yet I, you know, life takes its normal course. Um, You have maybe 30, 40 years left. Mm. And I, the thought of you dying is, it's devastating. It's, it's, it's such a rupture. And the fact that we feel it so painfully indicates it wasn't meant to be this way. Mm. Death is not normal. It's, it's not natural. It's, it was just in the Sunday readings, it not was. not too long. Not was it Sunday readings? Maybe a daily reading, not so long ago, where it said, uh, "Death was not God's plan. Death entered the world through the envy of the devil." Mm. And what is he envious of? What do we have that the angels don't have? Remembering that Lucifer is a fallen angel, we have bodies. The angels, the good angels, are in complete awe. Of our bodies because our bodies are destined to be divinized to participate in the divine life in a way that even the angels can't because they don't have bodies and so the fallen angels envy the fact that the word of god became flesh and divinized our bodies and you know envy is not just jealousy jealousy says i wish i had what you have but envy says i hate that you have it and i want you to hate that you have it Look how successful the devil's been with with his envy. How many people hate their bodies? Uh, Going to the grave 
of a deceased loved one is a way of continuing to show honor for the mystery of the body, that the union of body and soul is how God created us to be, and we will be raised in the last day. And as Peter Crafe says in a great book called uh, Everything You Wanted to Know About Heaven But Were Afraid to Ask, I think that's the title of it, he says, uh, you know, the resurrection of the body is not a dispensable extra. He says, when the soul is separated from the body, it is not liberated. That's what Plato taught. He said, the Plato, the philosopher, said that the body is the prison of the soul, and at death, the, the soul is finally liberated from the prison of the body. Peter Crave says, no, no, the, the, the soul is not liberated. It's in an extreme form of paralysis awaiting the resurrection of the body. And he says, we, we know that the separation of body and soul was never meant to happen. And he gives the example of why we are freaked out or horrified by both ghosts and corpses. Mm. He says, although both are harmless, they are the obscenely separated aspects of what we know belong together as one. So, yeah, in, in that spirit, going to the grave of a deceased loved one is, is expressing, I know the body and soul are meant to be together and we pray in hope that they will be reunited. This is our faith. We as human beings are a unity of body and soul. And the journey of the entire Christian life is one of reintegration of that which has been separated. Hmm. If you know anybody out there who needs to hear this episode, I would encourage you to click that share button. Help us get this good news out to as many people as possible. We're so grateful to you, our listeners, our faithful listeners out there especially. Keep the questions coming. And patrons, make sure you submit your question through the website for patrons, exclusively for patrons. That'll put your question up to the top. Uh, until next time, may you know it deep in your bones that you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute, with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. From the Theology of the Body Institute, that was Ask Christopher West. You can find more from this podcast series by going to tobinstitute.org. We'll be back with your dessert serving on Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler right after this short break. Stick around. The selfish become generous. The bitter become better. The sinner discovers forgiveness. And the creator of love is introduced. It's known to happen here. Positive change. Catholic Radio Indy. Does your parish podcast? If so, let us know so we can share that message here on The Sampler. Just drop a note to Kent at catholicradioindy.org or give us a call at 317-870-8400. Closing out this week's Sampler is an episode on human dignity from Joan Watson at 3minutetheology.com. It's easy to get used to our sinful ways sometimes when we're thinking about what it means to be human. What do we say when we mess up? I'm only human. But 
Sin isn't part of our human nature. Sin isn't what it means to be human. Sometimes we rush into talking about original sin and the fall of man when we look at the creation account. But we need to understand the way Adam and Eve were created before the fall, if we're really going to understand the fall. The creation account in Genesis 2 says something interesting. It says that God created man out of the dust of the earth. Some translations even say the slime of the earth. We are material beings. We have matter. We have bodies. But that same verse says something profound, that God breathed life into the man. We have a spiritual soul. We have a soul that's immortal, that will live forever. And we are the only creatures on this earth that are both physical and spiritual. In Genesis 1.26, we see the Trinity saying, let us make man in our own image. Male and female are created in the image and likeness of God. What does this mean? This means that we have immortal souls, we have a spiritual soul, but it also means that we have intellects and wills. We have the intellect that can know the truth, and we have wills that can choose the good. We are the only visible creatures on this earth that can know and love our Creator. And we are destined to know, love, and serve God and join Him forever in heaven someday. That's our destiny. That's what we're striving for. C.S. Lewis famous, famously said that if there's a desire in my life that the world cannot fill, cannot quench, the probable explanation is that I was created for another world. So what does all this mean? This means that as human beings, we have dignity. We have human dignity. We are created in love for love. Everyone on this earth has human dignity, regardless of our race, of our sex, of our age, whether we're elderly or unborn, whether we're mentally handicapped, physically handicapped, the prisoner, the refugee, your greatest enemy out there has human dignity. Do we act like that? Do we act like we have human dignity? Do we treat our neighbor with that human dignity? That's a gift from God. We didn't earn it, but we deserve to be treated with the dignity that God created us in his image and likeness. And this is a little theology in three minutes. And that wraps up this episode of the Lunchtime Podcast Sampler on Catholic Radio Indy. You can find this podcast with links to all the programs shared at catholicradioindy.org. I'm Kent Blanford, and until next time, thanks for listening, and God bless. Did you miss something in this show or just want to hear it again? Podcasts of this and all our other great local programs are available 24-7 at catholicradioindy.org.